Welcome to the People Profit Purpose Podcast from the Singapore Centre for Social Enterprise, RAISE. Now, I'm your host, Sharon Chen, and this podcast will share how businesses can do good authentically and strategically, such that doing good becomes a value creator instead of a cost centre. In each episode, we have three guest speakers who will share their thoughts and uncover insights into a particular topic of doing good and social entrepreneurship. And if you're looking for more sustainable ways to create social impact for your business, this show is for you. Now, this episode is titled, Which to Market First, Your Product or Your Impact? Being a social enterprise means having to balance generating sustainable financial returns with social impact creation, which you know may often seem like two opposing positions. How can this dual identity be complementary and be a strength to grow your business and social impact? Today, we have with us Jonathan Chua from social enterprise Beam & Go, who will share from an entrepreneur's point of view. Now next, Subhashini Balakrishnan, Head of Ecosystem Development at RAISE, sharing the perspective from the Apex Organisation for Social Enterprises in Singapore. And finally, Elise Tan, Director of Communications and Community at Vertex Ventures Southeast Asia and India. Listen on as we discuss the best practices to position your social enterprise and communicate social impact effectively. So John, can you start the ball rolling? Inherent in our business is the business itself, but also inherent is the social impact. It's the same thing, right? So if we do well as a business, that means we're providing positive social impact. So when we look at it, we don't separate like the revenue we're making or the profit margin we're making with the help that we're giving to our customers. In fact, our social impact metrics are very tied to our business. So it'll be the number of users that come onto our system. It's the number of beneficiaries we're helping, meaning the family members. And it's also the amount of services that they're being used. And if you translate those, it'll also translate into to like our revenue and our sales and our margins. So that's kind of like how we look at that bottom line and, and how we measure the social impact that we're providing for our customers. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, what about you, Suba? Yeah, but I was about to say also that I guess, you know, from Razor's perspective, we look at it as social enterprises because, you know, they are startups or SMEs, they are business first. And that is their mode of how they are creating social impact. And therefore, you know, the business has to be viable, doing well and growing year on year so that they can continue to either, you know, maintain the impact that they're creating or create more impact. And so when we come to communicating it or, you know, trying to tell their story, I think the preference really is to tell the business's story. If first, how they started, what, you know, created the impact in the beginning, but also to put the product and service first. Because at the end of the day, I think a consumer or the customer that you're after is going to look at that first. You know, is your product useful? Is your service great? so that they can continue to come back and use that product or service. And that continues to make sure that, you know, you make money and therefore the beneficiaries, I guess in John's case, these workers get benefited in the long run. So I guess the mentality here is to look at it as a business first. I don't know if you agree, John, but I think, you know, I'm looking at it that the social comes along. It's embedded, I think, different from CSR, which, you know, could be I'll do great first and then later I'll take it back and, you know, plow it to various different social impact you know, outcomes across the year. Like you said, you know, the social and the business is just like all intertwined into one. And I sort of agree to that as well. 
Yeah, maybe Elise can uh, add to that. Sure. I do agree, you know, that business comes first. And when we look at investment from Vertex Ventures' point of view, is that it's always about what value are you bringing, right? So when we talk about business first, is that our entrepreneurs, you know, looking at the problem and solving it and providing a product or service that actually provide that value. And the business model, is it going to be sustainable over time, right? Because Ultimately, if you want to be able to add value to your paying customers and also be bring about impact, you want that to be happening over years, right? Even decades. That's something is useful. So we would think that it's really important, you know, to look at are you providing value as an entrepreneur? And then when you do that, then at the same time, you know, can you deliver impact to others? Yeah, but do you think that when you're looking at, I guess your beneficiaries in this case are also your customers, right? Yeah, Yeah, so when you're sort of selling it to them or your marketers, they do that. Do you think you sell the social angle to them first? Like what you said, you know, on average you spend 13 years and then, you know, I really want you to spend less time. Or I guess differently, if you sold it to corporates or whoever, other partners, you would sell it different. I think that's what we sort of want to discuss today, that as a social enterprise, you have the predicament to say, which one should I put first? And then which one do you put first? And it's a different message for different people, right? So you hit the nail on the head. The social impact message is actually what we say to corporates. Like last year, we started doing a lot more B2B or B2B2C stuff. So when we talk to corporates, we are also a marketplace and we also have partners like payment options. And that's what we tell them, right? But for our customers, I mean, the reality is they're, they're just trying to survive, right? So you're trying to give them the best product at the best price point. And what you see is, back to Lisa's point of how it's really a long-term thing, is our success stories are not the person who's been with us for a month. It's the people who have been with us for years. Like we had just one recently where through one of our programs, she was able to earn supplementary income or complementary income. And she was able to, you know, save more money. And she just saw her daughter graduate. And she actually wrote to us and she was crying. It happens a lot, especially in the Philippines. And she was crying and she goes, you know, working with you guys over the last three years, I would not have been able to save the money. I don't know what would have happened to my daughter if she would be able to graduate from high school. But the message to our customers is, okay, this is a great service. (laughs) This is a great price. It's price and service, right? But for the kind of the corporates and partners and even merchants that come onto our marketplace, we do talk about the social impact. And we have two websites, right? We have a marketplace website, which is where our customers go to. And then we have a corporate website. And on our corporate website, it's very much geared towards the impact that if we all work together, you know, we're going to solve this problem. Yeah, I think maybe I can just share something that would go on to what Elise can share. So Rees actually conducted a public perception survey in 2020, so two years ago at the onset of COVID. But we actually do that once in four years. So we did that once when we first started in 2016. And, you know, the results are quite consistent when we, these are the men on the street, right? People that would probably be your customers. And, you know, they say that first and foremost, to your point, price and quality is still paramount. Right, they're happy to support. That means if all being equal, two businesses can give them the same good stuff at the same affordable price, then of course they're more likely to be able to support a social enterprise. So I'm comparing like maybe Starbucks and Better Barista. So I know they have social impact. Great, I put my $5 to buy that cappuccino. But otherwise, just a social impact story alone isn't going to be a point of decision. If it is, it could be, you know, just a one-off 
decision and not a very sustained one, which actually is what race has taken back and, you know, sort of moved all our marketing campaigns towards that direction. Mm-hmm. And we advise our social enterprises to do so because at the end of the day, people vote with their dollar. Right, And they are going to buy these products and services, which then goes back into profits that they need. So I'm just wondering also from Elise's point of view, if you think for the social enterprises that you've worked with or from your marketing perspective, do you also do something similar or otherwise? Before I start, I just want to say that I'm really a fan of what Jonathan is doing. You know, there is so much to be done, you know, for this group of Filipinos who are working overseas and actually anyone who is working overseas to support their families. I really do feel for people being away from their family because I am also a mom of a young child. So I can really feel the agony of being away by having to make end meets. So I guess to me, social enterprises, there are many different business models. So there are those which are like yours, Jonathan, where your beneficiary and customers are the same. And I think that is great. You know, you're going to make a lot of impact because you're going to interact with them. You know what they need and all that. Yeah, so I think that's a great model. And I think that definitely there are other models where the impact is to a different stakeholder and the customers are another kind, right? So I think this is where the price, quality and all that comes in. It's really important to be delivering value, right, while trying to solve both problems. So the first problem being the paying customers problem and then the second one, which is still caring for the group of beneficiaries that the company has felt for. I think to me, you know, having worked with a few social enterprises, I now distinctly know the difference between social enterprise and charity. So I think, you know, in charity, people look at them really delivering that social need and they would look at donating to them, you know, as the primary uh, relationship that they built with the charity. But then when we look at social enterprise, you know, the word enterprise is important, right? So being able to really provide product or service that solve the problem of the paying customer is paramount. Yeah, I also want to mention that I'm not surprised by the results of the survey that people would first really look at, you know, is what I'm buying something I need, something I want, right? Instead of, oh, I'm actually going to do good. Yeah, so I think the former would come first. And I would see that not being, you know, that uh, we are selfish or we are not thinking about the impact that we are making, right? When we purchase, when we consume services and products. But it's more of sustainability, right? So I would say that social enterprise, you know, it's really important to make sure the unique economics work. It's important to use even technology to solve problems in a better way, in a more efficient way, because this is really the advantage of using technology. Yeah, I think just now you mentioned, you know, that it took you some time to, to sort of, after working with social enterprises, to distinct between charity and social enterprise. But I think that's a really a great point, right? When we are thinking about marketing, we want to build a brand and it's about changing of perspectives. So when I worked with Raze in the beginning, I came from a more, you know, SME related background. I used to see things like, you know, maybe a hand of a very old person or maybe, you know, the bottom of a wheelchair. And I say that means that when people see this visual, they are going to associate you with a charitable organization. It is not wrong, but it may not be the vibe and the brand that you want, you know, your end customers to know. And, you know, if you change things up a bit, you know, if you're showing, you know, that great bangle that you have created or, you know, that wonderful service or anecdote or case study, you then are selling a different narrative, a different perspective, which your end customer may resonate with better. And, you know, over time, 
you know, I've been with the race close to going to be five years now, and I think that has shifted. People are looking at things and saying, oh, yeah, I think I know what a social enterprise is now. I guess you all are, you know, business first and not really confusing us or social enterprises with the social service organizations in Singapore, which do great work and they sell a different story. Yeah, I mean, when we started, we didn't even know we were a social enterprise. <laughs> we were just trying to solve this one problem that we saw. My background is my parents are also from the Philippines. And so I'm a little older now, obviously. <laughs> but over time, I saw a shift in how not only the, the migration of people from the Philippines, but also how the money was being used when it was sent back. So the first wave of migration from the Philippines was, you know, more like doctors, professionals, and then over the course of 30 years, it's domestic helpers, service staff. And then the money that was going back, it used to be used for like education. And I mean, it still is. But now it's like very much used for basic needs. And at least that's what the intention is, right? So when we saw that problem of it not being used for that intention, that's why we came up with this product or that's why we came up with Beam and Go. And we just thought that this was going to be a great solution. <laughs> and we didn't even think about that. Oh, wow, this is actually has a social impact. I think it was over time and, you know, we've been around for like six years or so. And I've been to a few workshops at Ray's and I also learned a lot. And I, I did know there was a difference between a social enterprise and a charity because we were a business. But I think what was great about sitting through a lot of these workshops with Ray's and, and Suba, you were there. I think at almost every one of them. It's just kind of learning the marketing part, but also kind of understanding a bunch of things I learned. But the first thing is really just understanding who are you sending that message to? And so, like I mentioned earlier, when it's our end customer, when it's the migrant worker and their families, we're totally focused on value, right? Totally focused on how great our service is, the price point that we're giving. And we don't even really talk about like how we used to. We used to say like, oh, you know, why send money over when it's going to be misused? We don't talk about that anymore because we want to keep it positive and it's inherent. Like it's just they know, right? And then now that we have so many other stakeholders, the marketing is also different. And we have different groups of people who talk with, you know, the enterprises and another group that talks with the customer. So it just evolves over time and you just learn every day we're learning something but I think this is not a promotion for Ray's, but I think Ray's really helped us a lot getting to understand that over time. Yep, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I guess for us even, right, uh, when we talk about building capabilities for our social enterprises, they actually have great stories to tell. They also have great products, right? I've become a fan of all these social enterprises whom I buy from, you know, maybe gifts and, and not because I know I don't really believe in the, you know, the pity story or the SOP narrative. I really believe that these products are great. You know, while the prices may not always be in the affordable category, some are quite expensive to purchase. And therefore, the price and quality is really important. I wear a lot of social enterprise jewelry, carry their bags, even have shoes. And I truly believe that it's a good product. I still have it like three years on. So, you know, the quality is excellent. But how are they selling that story, right? So we did take our social enterprises through, you know, visual merchandising courses. You know, if you go out to a pop-up market, what can you do so that you don't look like it's a flea market, you know? What can you do to elevate your product and compete against all these other SMEs out there who are also already doing a great job? You know, and I think some of them have benefited from it. And I guess Race will continue to see how we can play that part. 
But, you know, social enterprises are great at what they do. You know, I've interacted with them over the years. They don't really need so much guidance. They are businesses, you know, they are market-driven solutions. People are already buying from them. That's why they've been around for five years, ten years, you know. And I think that's the, the takeaway message for me even, that, you know, they don't really need to be told how to do their business. We are just there to polish the diamond around the edges to, you know, make it shine a lot more. Yeah, I must say I'm really proud of what Race is doing because running an enterprise is hard enough, right? Running a social enterprise, it takes even more. It takes even more support, education, community building and everything to create that ecosystem so that our social enterprises can thrive. Yeah, so I definitely feel a lot for what Race is doing. I'm glad that, you know, I am part of this podcast. I really think, you know, it's important to solve the problem first and then thinking about how can you deliver that solution, that value at scale, because scale is so important to really be able to expand that impact, not just to your customers, your paying customers, but also to the beneficiary that you are looking after. So I think really looking at solving the problem, doing at scale is important. So the other part that I want to talk about is the marketing part of it. So when we think about marketing, branding, you know, for social enterprise, I think what comes to mind often will be maybe talking about a beneficiary, how he or she has benefited from it, almost like what charities used to do. But for me, I was just wondering, you know, nowadays, you know, marketing has moved quite a bit from self-promotion to something that is more creating of narratives, something that really struck the chord of people who listen to it. And these people can be anyone on the street, right? So how can a social enterprise actually market themselves that way. I think, you know, marketing and awareness has evolved quite a lot through the years for not just social enterprises, but profit-making enterprises as well. And I think it is so interesting to think about that. In addition, I think one of us also mentioned about the audience, like who are we marketing to? Who are we speaking to? I think that is really important to understand. And in addition, not just really looking at a small crowd, not just looking at people who are already very charity conscious, people who are very impact conscious, but also the person on the street, like why would they pay attention to what you are selling? With that dollar or $10 that they are going to spend, how is it going to go a longer way? Yeah, so I was thinking, you know, I think for the younger people, right, meaning and purpose is uh, is very important, right? They want to know that the brands that they're communicating with and buying for and supporting are socially conscious. You know, where are the products coming from? Are they ethically sourced? Are the workers actually, you know, working reasonable amount of hours? And, you know, these SDG goals, of, or at least what corporates call them, do trickle down to decision points that the young people make. Even for not so young people like me, I want to know, what is it that the company is doing in terms of being responsible to the environment as well as to its community? So I think that those decisions are top of mind. People want to, to get that. And, you know, I guess last time with, you know, broadcast media, print and radio and everything, you know, as, as a business, you cannot select your customer and send different messages. But digital marketing today, you can target the person that you want to reach and tell them exactly the same version of the story in a different way so that they can resonate, which is what Ellie said. What is the value that you are bringing to that person and communicate that effectively? You know, what are you going to do with your next hundred dollars? Are you really just going to have another party or are you going to put this to good use for someone you know across your shores and then people sit back decide and then act on it yeah so I think that is really that 
advantage that we have as marketers today that 10 years ago maybe you know the advantage wasn't there to be able to select your customer and talk to them directly as a push marketing like which we do now which i think personally a very powerful tool yeah i mean i get to say that for us marketing is not just that push it's not even just that message or that email or that sms or you know something that shows up on a facebook feed for us we track it all the way from the message all the way down to when they make a purchase and when they return to make another purchase. And that's the thing that I do talk to other entrepreneurs and other people, whether they're in social enterprise or not. And when we do talk about marketing, it's like the game has been really elevated. Like you have to be as good a marketer as like Nike these days, right? I mean, I mean, obviously you don't have that kind of budget, but you have the tools are out there for you to create that kind of quality. The websites, the apps, uh, you know, you can create to be super fast and, and, you know, like personalized, localized and all that. And so in a way, it's a little bit tougher because the game is so elevated, but the tools are there for you to do it. And with creativity and then just that attention to detail, just using things like Google Analytics or things like that. As a marketer, you can really have more of a holistic perspective, not just like, okay, I'm going to see if I could get 100,000 people into my funnel, let's say, right? But it goes all the way down to even getting them to come back, even getting them to tell their friends, you know? So when we look at marketing, we start obviously with the narrative, with the story, the value, but we actually look at it from the message that they're gonna get all the way down. You know, like we spend hours doing that with our team and we're lucky now. I mean, we're we're fortunate because we did spend a considerable amount of time getting our Google Analytics together. So we actually know like all the touch points and all that. So we can see like, okay, why is this not working? And, And we could tweak. And that's also the beauty of digital marketing is, you know, you don't have to wait a cycle, right? The cycle could be an hour. I think even we have done that in Reese, right? We do a lot of A-B testing. We put out this image, put out another one, we put some money behind it, you know, we sort of test it out because every audience is different, like for you. And for us, right, we market uh, not just one social enterprise, but we do that for a collective group of 380 of them, each one different product, different service, you know, different stakeholder. And honestly, we have evolved around, you know, over the years to tweak our campaigns to make sense for us. And that's a beauty because we, like you, have data analytics as well. When did people interact with us? When did they drop out? When did they come back? Yeah. You know, are they never coming back? And then we sort of tweak our messages to, you know, sell the story that we need as a social enterprise ecosystem as a whole. Yeah, which is why I'm a great fan of all these digital technologies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, we still do things like print. And I think there is still an audience for that, you know, in broadcast and radio as well. And today we're doing this podcast, which will then go to a different audience as well. Yeah. But I guess you said it right. You know, we need to think big like the Nikes, like the Grabs, you know, and and see what is it that they are doing, they're doing right. We may not have the same budgets, but we can adopt the same strategies. I mean, I, I can add, like, when we first started, we thought very provincially. And we also made the mistake of thinking that every migrant worker is the same. And we realized very quickly that it's not. And so, like, when we do stuff these days, is there so many examples out there when we're in meetings and we come up with something new or even something old or rehashing something? I always tell the team, you got to go out and see what other people are doing. Like, go to, you know, 
Dollar Shave Club, go to Nike, go to like these guys who are, you know, really experts at it. And there's so many examples. You go on YouTube, you could go, you know, just, just Google anything. There's tons of articles on it. And learn. And like, I think as a marketer or even just running a company, and I mentioned it earlier, I said, like, I learn something new every day because, first of all, everything evolves. But the second of all, it's just there's so much stuff out there. If you're willing to just sit down and read and try to absorb and have an open mind, you can learn something every day and learn a lot, too. So just a word for people who want to start a company. <laughs> I mean, that's my advice. Yeah, I think you don't really need to reinvent the wheel, right? Yeah. There are some things that are great and they are out there. There are a lot of free tools too, yeah. which I guess, you know, even in our team, we've sort of put together a resource tool to sort of get our social enterprises to say, you know, it doesn't have to be an expensive journey. It's just a journey you have to start today. You just need to start walking, you know, and then run and then you'll be great at it. There are tools out there. It can be a very daunting thing, I think, especially for the traditional folks to embark on this journey of marketing in this current era. And, you know, and all they need is that little push. And then I think they've done excellently well. Yeah, I think that's, you know, all from me to share. You know, Elise, if you have anything to also add to that. Sure. I mean, as I'm listening, I'm also putting myself in the shoes of someone who is running a social enterprise. Yeah, and I think that really running a business can be really overwhelming, you know, all the time, especially because you feel so much responsibility, you know, for your employees, for your customers, for this business that you want to sustain, right? So so listening to, yes, there's lots of tools out there. There are lots of examples out there, but I don't even have the time, you know, to look at all this. Yeah, so I just want to, you know, emphasize something. So... I think it's really important that founders in the initial stage, of course, founders are 100% involved in running the company, making sure that it works, setting it up and all that. But then over time, founders need to know how to be less operational and more strategic and more really looking at, you know, what's next. Also as a mother or like a female, right? So I, I always feel that it's so hard to give up what I was doing and actually leave the operational part to other people that I trust. Yeah, so I find that a struggle. And I imagine that could be a struggle for other social enterprise owners as well. Yeah. So because when you do that, you know, then you give yourself that mind space to be able to look at how customers interacting with our brand, with our products. You get a chance to talk to your customers because this primary research is really going to tell you a lot about, you know, how they got to know about our brand, what they love about it, and how can you reposition your products and make it even better over time. Then with that, you know, you can look at technology, how that can, is giving you data to uh, do the analysis that you can and really fine-tune the different channels. And nowadays, you know, it's really difficult to just focus on any one channel. People are talking about omni-channel because people are discovering your product all over the place, you know, from somewhere that's physical, like at a fair, in the market to online to even like two degree away you know somebody writing about you your products or yourself writing about a thought leadership article and then people deciding to buy your products because maybe they also buy into the narrator buy into the cost that you are raising awareness for yeah so, so I think you need to really have that mindset and also operationally setting up a system so that your business can run with you um, taking time out to take a breather and really looking at how to 
improve it. And then I also want to mention something that we didn't really touch upon is community and advocates. So just now, Shubashini was saying that, you know, nowadays Gen Z are looking at purpose. They are looking at what they are buying, what they are consuming, you know, besides the immediate value they are gaining, what else are they doing for the bigger community? Yeah, so I think really having a community that feel for a particular cause or even just be interested in a particular topic and really nourishing this community, providing them with the things they love to see, they love to hear, is going to help a lot in terms of marketing for your product. And it's going to help you do that at low cost. Yeah, because what happened from a community is that quickly you see there will be advocates, there will be ambassadors that you can tap on. And these people are like the most powerful word of mouth uh, marketer for you. And a lot of them love to do that for free because they feel for what you're doing. They know that if they were to help you to raise awareness in their own network, it's going to do so much more for the beneficiaries which you are looking after. And together, we can all make such a bigger impact. So I want to share that community and really identifying people who are going to advocate for your products is really important and it's really a low-hanging fruit. Yeah, I was just thinking that actually for John, your customers are your best ambassadors, right? That's because right. I'm sure they, you know, they share a lot and they pass on the message, a good word about, you know, how excellent this service is. Yep. And yeah, I, well, you, know, you hope it's a good word. It is, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think it can go both ways, but people voluntarily share and encourage friends. Like I'm a mother too. And, you know, I always, when I find a good thing, I never not share it, right? With my other mother friends, you know, try this, it's good for your kid. It's very voluntary. Complaints, I I think come, but you know, they are like illicit. We don't need this negativity. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going to say what Elise said it is 100% true. Like building that community is like it was integral for us because we were able to kind of get feedback, like you're saying, like on the ground feedback from the community we built. But we are also able to layer on services with the community. So what I mean by that is, like I've mentioned before, we have a marketplace where we sell products and services to help a migrant worker take care of their family, basically. But that doesn't take care of the migrant worker themselves. So in our community, though, is we bring in experts in, let's say, health and wellness, expert in even legal manners, and we do seminars. And we bring them all together. And, you know, it'd be like 100, 150 people in a country. And, and we do it all online. And those are great. I mean, especially like in the Filipino communities where people just love to chit chat and talk and, and things like that. And what happens when we started doing that is exactly what Elise said. Like leaders start to bubble up. Like ambassadors start to bubble up. And then from there, we put together, we call it our reseller or delegate program, but basically it's a referral system on steroids, basically. And we empower these guys. So like we do co-branding with them. It's not for free. We do give them commissions, right, uh, in the form of credits. But that also leads into something that was important to us, too, is we wanted to help our customers also save money. So what happened was, as these ambassadors started spreading the word, they're earning credits that they could use on our systems. So when they earn credits on our system, they don't have to use their own money to buy groceries or pay for medicine for their family. So basically, in a way, it's saving. And we had some people, as our ambassadors, their whole grocery bill was paid as being an ambassador because they're on our service, right? And when they told us that, we were like, we we're just amazed because, like you said, if you like the service, you're going to tell all your friends. 
like just, you know, instinctually, right? And then if you're going to get even added benefit, it's just going to multiply your enthusiasm. And that's what we found. And so I agree with you, Lisa, like you have to build the community. And I think whether you're a social enterprise or just purely for profit, I think that's what everyone's doing too now is they build communities and they're layering services on top of their main service, right? Um, And I think it's really important. And it was something we found out about maybe three years ago. And so we were able to develop all these communities in Hong Kong and Singapore and Japan, a little bit in the Middle East, but the Hong Kong, Singapore, Japan, Taiwan, these were our main areas where migrant workers just kind of like, you know, we built a little community around that. And the other thing too, as a social enterprise, what I could also recommend is there are probably other organizations that also cater to your customers, maybe not doing the same exact thing. And so when we built the community, we just didn't do it in a vacuum. We also reached out to other communities. So some communities are location-based. So they come from a certain region in the Philippines. And it's just like a social club, basically. And we were able to work with them and partner with them to bring them into our community. And the social impact message actually has a big thing there. Because if we came into that community and just said, hey, we got a product, you know, we want your customers to buy it, that's not going to fly. But if you say, like, look, this is what we're doing. This is how we're trying to help. We're trying to reduce the amount of years they're away from their family. It resonates more on that with another social enterprise. And, you know, it's just a multiplier effect. You just, you know, everybody kind of works together. And in a way, that's what you want to do, right? Like you want to not just broaden your own customer base, but you want to just try to help as many people as possible. So building that community is really an important part for any enterprise, I think. Yeah, I've also noticed that there's a shift in trend, right? There was a point where, you know, there would be paid partnerships with more popular people like celebrities and everything who probably use your product at the point of the engagement uh, vis-a-vis people like you just mentioned in your community who are ambassadors, self-made ambassadors, trust and totally believe in the product. It's not about money. Either way, you are still, as a business, dispensing with some kind of incentive. Right. Right. Whether it be a paid partnership with an influencer or these micro-influencers who have the power to pull in the people in their community and their word means something. Like today, if I make a recommendation to my group of friends, although small, they will buy. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, And I think we seldom tap on that power. Because it takes a long time uh, right. to build on it. But I think we should encourage you know, social enterprises, just like SMEs, to look at that part. Maybe not one or the other, but a combination of two will definitely be worthwhile. One long tail, one short term. But yep. you know, there is definitely you know, a lot to gain in, in building these communities. Yeah, and I could say like what Elise was doing with Makam for Hope and what Ray's was doing is kind of getting a lot of these organizations kind of, I mean, obviously they're not doing the same thing, but they're kind of like-minded and I'm kind of a lurker in Makan for Hope. I mean, I do go to, <laughs> I do attend and listen. I mean, I, I'm more active in Ray's. But it's just like, you know, a community also built around like those, you know, the webinars that I attended at Ray's, like, you know, you end up seeing kind of the same people, right? And you start to build those relationships. And it's really awesome, right, that there's a place for us to kind of just congregate because... Like, you know, as Elise says, being an entrepreneur, being a founder, running a business, it's like it's so consuming. Like you have to do everything, especially in the beginning. 
And you don't always know that there's actually people out there that either can help you or they're going through the same problem. And the combination of that can also help you, like either solving a problem or just lifting your spirit. Like I remember just going to the webinars and some of the people I met at those courses we took at Ray's, just talking to them outside of that course and saying like, oh man, these problems we've been having and they say the same thing and you're like, oh God, so I'm not alone, right? And it just makes you feel more energized and just, yeah, just feel better. I guess we all have an inherent need to belong, right? Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Having done marketing, you know, in a formal or informal way, I realized that the funnel approach is really the holy grail <laughs> because, because, you know, just now earlier we mentioned that how are you looking at, you know, the top of the funnel, right? Uh, who are you reaching? Is the group that you're reaching is too small? Can you widen that? You know, how would you do that differently? Yeah. So then, because usually the more people you start at the beginning of the funnel, it will leave you with more at the end of the funnel, right? So when we look at, uh, you know, scaling that business up when we look at how can you get more customers, you have to look at the beginning of the funnel, right? So what you have to do at the first part is usually creating awareness. So creating awareness, it goes back to the story that you are telling, it goes back to um, the omni-channel approach that you are looking at. And then the next part is really about how are you converting them and I think in converting potential customers, it is important to be niche. It's important to know, you know, what have been the attributes of those that become your loyal customers. Then you try to kind of identify those potential customers with the data and all that that you have done, right? And then after you converted them, they have purchased one product from you. Then like what Jonathan say, you know, how are they making a repeat purchase? Why are they making a repeat purchase? So that's something really important to understand. And also after you understand that, you know, there's always a way to uh, systemize this so that you get more and more repeat purchases, right? And then the next part is how can you convert these people who make maybe two or three purchases into someone who is part of your community and then over time becoming an advocate becoming someone who refer business to you and then themselves, you know, are inspiring more customers and also even more loyal customers as well, right? So you really want to create this whole cycle, right? This virtual cycle that will actually also create that community who are going to be loyal to your products, who are going to spread the word of mouth, right? Yeah, so I would say that, you know, really thinking about what we have shared with this funnel approach at the back of your mind and also really analyzing whatever you do, going back and asking, you know, how are you addressing that how are you improving it over time? Yeah, so I think this could be a good concept to leave you with. Elise, there's another thing, the way you mentioned it or the way you described it, I've heard it in another way. Um, obviously, the funnel is a good metaphor, but have you ever heard of this? It's called a loop. Yeah, it's like kind of, it's more like the loop of like the way a snail is, like where it's in a circling out. And basically you start small and then you just keep learning kind of like the funnel, like how do you scale it? And like along the loop, there's like points along this loop and it's kind of hard to describe, <laughs> but there's a name for it. But it's also kind of another way that maybe you could think about it is like, you know, you start off with basically a hypothesis on like what your, your customer is. And the more data you get, you start to see a trend or you start to see characteristics that defines whether it's your one-time buyer or it's your repeat buyer or the person who becomes your ambassador. And you just keep getting those data points and you start building on top of that. So as you go further out, you have more data points and you can kind of create that going back to the funnel, a way to get as many people into that funnel so that, you know, you could be a sustainable business basically. 
I'm sure our listeners have obtained significant insights into how Bean's social enterprises balance a double bottom line, growing both their business and social impact. To summarize some of the key points discussed today, from, say, understanding your target audience when crafting marketing narratives, to adopting strategies from larger businesses despite the disparity in budget, we've talked about how it is pivotal in realizing that customers may not necessarily appreciate the sob stories being shared. There is a growing traction in customers realizing how the value of a product or service is paramount and enterprises need to optimize their narratives such that it promotes the products or services and injects the flavor of impact created as an added bonus. Now, in the next episode, we dive deeper into what it takes for social enterprises to fail in the business world and how learning from failures propels them to greater successes. Stay tuned for tips on starting and running a successful social enterprise and also find out how to redefine your failures through reflection. This podcast is curated by the Singapore Centre for Social Enterprise, RAISE. As an ecosystem developer for social enterprises, SE in Singapore, RAISE provides a range of services to help SEs from start to mature stages such as funding, business advisory, training, relevant resources and networks. RAISE also looks to encourage collaboration and sharing of information between SEs and other social organisations, as well as corporations and individuals who would like to contribute or play a role in the SE sector. Find out more at www.raise.sg and see this episode's show notes for more links about what we discussed in this episode. Remember to subscribe to People Profit Purpose via your favourite podcast app to be notified when we release a new episode. 